<laughs> How? <laughs> what kind of? Aloha! <laughs> Welcome back to the Inglorious Pastors. Roger and Bruce. Who seem a little farther away than normal. <laughs> I'm going to bring us in a little Brothers, bit former pastors. Well, I'm still doing some pastoring these days, Rog. Well, not for long. <laughs> well, that could be. When, I remember the last time when, you were saying, boy, my speaking engagements have really taken off. It's smooth sailing from here. Yeah. I think it was early last year I, when your speaking, your whole speaking ministry was going to soar. Okay, Raj, why don't we talk about what I want to talk about for a minute? <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Soaring. No, I, I got invited to speak at a church on July 4th. I think this should go well. Okay. On, Religious freedom, patriotism, and Christian nationalism. Yes, I'll be praying. I was hoping you'd be fasting and praying, <laughs> and we might even do an anointing with oil on the podcast. I thought you might be asking me for some kind of a tag team, <laughs> because at well, some point... <laughs> all right, you take it from here. Take it from here, Roger. I'm going to say all the really easy stuff. Right, right. And then we're going to have Roger the fastballs. Right. Why don't we just do like a Q&A that morning with Roger? I'll interview you and ask you things that, well, no evangelical Christian wants to be asked ever. <laughs> Yeah, I've been giving that a lot of thought already, though, because that's, uh, I mean, that's the perfect day to do a talk like that. Yeah, and Sunday, the 4th uh, does fall on a Sunday, which is... Um, so, so I'm thinking of starting the whole thing off with just a single verse and going from there. You ready for the verse? Yes. If he keeps this up, we'll lose both our place and our nation. Because <laughs> hmm. most people don't know, that was sort of the deciding moment of the Sanhedrin on, we got to kill Jesus. Right, because if he keeps this up, we're going to lose our place. Probably the temple, or at least a, a societal place that they had carved out in the Roman Empire, and our nation. Right, uh, who was obviously occupied by Rome at that point, but they had their own sort of little thing going on. Well, what's also intriguing with that is, I guess you can make the case. Now we don't know all the factors, right? But even Judas, okay, the motivation, what's going on there? What happens when, when again, there's the dawning realization that... Um, I saw this going differently yes. in my mind. <laughs> and he's not doing anything about Rome. Uh -uh. There's nope. nothing... And he's just going to let our country languish. And so and the, this and vision... And the Messiah is supposed to come with an iron scepter right. and rule yep. the nations. So I mean, you can... When we start getting into motivation, they they were friends. I mean, Judas and Jesus, and but what what makes that turn? I don't think it's just greed and money. I think there's yeah. some other things that are going on there, right. and you can make the question. And actually, there were we saw all through Jesus' ministry. Yeah, um, he would lose people over comments that went directly against nationalistic pride, you know, where there were all these widows, you know, in Israel, but God sends, God sends yeah. the prophet to heal um, the foreigner, yeah. and and they wanted to kill Jesus right then. Right then and there. I, I mean, a bunch of people. It, was that his hometown? What, or was uh, that? 
That may have been Capernaum. Okay. Uh, but, but his hometown, the Nazareth yeah. folks also tried to kill him. In other words, nationalism continually threatened Jesus' life. I mean, that would, that, yeah. so, the Jewish so nationalism. He's telling the story that we all know very well about what we call the Good Samaritan. Although, in their day, in their culture, <laughs> there was absolutely no such thing. Isn't it, isn't it interesting the way that Jesus flipped the script literally forever about Samaritans? You, you have whole organizations called Good Samaritan. But the, but the Jew knew of no such thing. Right. This idea of someone different nationality, well, Good Samaritan, <laughs> what? Well, it's and it's comical when you get to the, Jesus gets to the end of that story. He says, "Now who was the neighbor to the one who fell among thieves?" And guy couldn't say it. He can't even say the one who took care of it. I suppose. I suppose the one who had compassion. This begrudging, right? Because he's getting the implication but, but of this. Not only that, but I just realized this as you said it. He's also at risk now from the crowd. What's the, what's he going to say? Who is the? Oh dear! So now I right. have to, because of the, the nature of the story Jesus just told, I have to say, this is this this. Uh, well, I suppose it was the one that had compassion on right. him. Right, and so here's the. It was the non-answer. It was the one. So here was the the one who actually loved his neighbor, which is what you're asking me about, was the Samaritan, yeah. which you don't remotely love. It, you're, it was just a fascinating way to turn that around and um, take the guy's question. And anyway. So, so I was reading this morning, and I realized, I was reading Luke 14, I realized how hard it is for people to answer a question <laughs> Honestly, if it goes against their sort of philosophy or theology or or proprietal, I mean, sense of propriety. So Jesus is going to heal someone on the Sabbath. But this time, before he does it, he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they didn't say anything. They did not say a word. Yep. Now, now, Jesus has already done this before in a previous <laughs> place. And the synagogue mm -hmm. ruler said, there's six other days you can be healed. Come and be healed on those days. Of course, Jesus said it's lawful and stuff. But he's in this new synagogue, and this this person comes that's that needs healing, and he says, "Is it lawful to to heal on the Sabbath?" They don't say anything. So Jesus asks another question. He said, "If you had a son that fell into a ditch, this is not just the ox or the sheep this time. If you had your son that fell fell into a pit on the Sabbath day, would you leave him in there overnight, or would you pull him out?" Guess what they said. <laughs> Nothing, and I realized they did not. It was interesting in a, in a in a in a society where you you often answer a question with a question. They had nothing to say to Jesus because the, if they did, they would have to say, "Well, yeah, Jesus, that make, that just makes sense, doesn't it?" Well, sure. <laughs> if our son fell into a pit on Sabbath day, we'd pull him out, thus working. He's like, how much more this person that's been you know under Satan's control for years should we not rescue them on the right sabbath it was just interesting to see that there was time sometimes there was silence and then sometimes there was silence and then a conspiracy literally behind the scenes like the, the other time i was talking about where he healed someone on the sabbath they literally said okay we've got to kill him which is just so i can't wrap my head around that right. so to be clear he just healed someone and said so it is lawful to do good on the sabbath 
And they said, in response to this miracle, <laughs> we're going to have to kill him. Well, it's this funny thing because he's messing the whole system up. Because they knew, it's what Nicodemus said, no one can do the miracles you're doing except, except God's God with, God them. with them. But then he keeps doing this <clears throat> healing and doing good things on the Sabbath. And it was, they could not see past. Um, well, yeah. yeah. So where do we get stuck? Oh, gosh. Whether it's, whether it's nationalism <clears throat> or whether it's a, I'm going to say pet theology. Where we just can't see, we can't see past it. We can't even, we're not even, we don't even want to answer the questions that are posed in relation to that issue. No, but you don't touch that. I mean, I didn't, I didn't watch it, listen to it, but I think you did a thing yesterday on why doubt is good. Yeah. I'd love for you to unpack that because I think sometimes we're afraid if we doubt, oh, I must not have faith. Therefore, I don't believe. Therefore, I'm not a part of God's, we go down this road of. Right. But, but there are times where it's good to question things. Well, it's... And again, I haven't watched no, this. No, no, so right. Even... You pushed up against... Because I've thought about this lately. We have... It's fascinating you bring this up. I realize, as you're well, talking about that... of course it's fascinating that I brought it up. I'm a fascinating <laughs> person. I'm like Healing the on the guy. Sabbath was, I realize, an untouchable. Here's the thing. That's a good... Yeah, that's a In good, other words... That's a good way. That's off limits. We... And I, I can recall there are certain things that, even as we grew up, even how people respond, we learned, especially related to the level of passion, mm -hmm. you don't broach that one. Yeah. That one doesn't... Um, in fact, I was thinking, I encountered this recently. I, I remember one of those moments I had, I was talking with someone I really, really respect a great deal. Yeah. Loves God's word. Uh, good teacher, a uh, great person, um, and actually a very teachable person, you mm -hmm. know. And um, so I was talking to this person, and so I'm talking about the role of women in ministry and and um, and whether God intended for women to serve as pastors mm -hmm. and Bible teachers and those kind of things. And I picked up almost immediately, oh, th that's not, no, that's untouchable. In other words, it was in other words. This one can't. We don't. We don't even need to have a conversation about right. this. Now, what's fascinating? So, in in the kind of dialogue that's following, because I think I was kind of probing it. I said, mentioned you know, I mentioned someone that we both knew that had this uh, view that maybe people could possibly lose their salvation. Uh -huh. And um, and I said, do you think that could be possible? And he said, he said, you know. I think there could be a possible situation where that could be, that could be the case, and it just hit me with this force. When it came to a matter of someone's eternal, eternal destiny, destiny. <laughs> um, there was wiggle room. There was room. You, I could see some interpretive there, but when it came to the role of women in ministry in the church, oh, that was not even possible. Right. And I realize that was, we end up having. Now, in my mind, there are a handful of what I would see as untouchables. They are the, the foundational bedrock without, you sort of don't have faith. You don't have the story. Let's say Jesus is God. I, the, the, you know, I'm not. Um, I'm real solid on there is a God. Right. Yes. Though, some Jesus of those, is God. Yeah. That's but true. what's fascinating to me is without realizing We've we've other things get put into that untouchable category, yeah. and this is what I think happened. You realize this about 
healing on the Sabbath was an untouchable. In fact, it was so untouchable, they could see all these miracles. He's doing these amazing yeah, things. Right. He's raising people from the dead. He's healing <laughs> hundreds and thousands of people. He heals a blind, whatever, and what they say is, he give glory to God. He can't be from God because he healed on the Sabbath. In other words, that was so untouchable. Isn't that interesting? It's, it's so untouchable that they, some of them sincerely, attributed his miracles to Satan. Now yeah. think about it. It was so untouchable, no. so unthinkable. You have they, to. So they're either going to be in Nicodemus's camp, who was who was being at, at least honest. Hey. Honestly, I mean, I know they're saying it's satanic, but there's, I understand that no one could do what right. you're doing except by the power of God. Okay, I get that. <clears throat> but others were like, they were so, that that can't possibly be of God. Right. This thing that he's doing on the, you can't work on the Sabbath. God's real clear on that. Don't, that won't do any work. So, well, it must be, he must be doing it by Satan. Of course, then Jesus goes into the whole thing. Well, can Satan cast out Satan? And all that kind of it's right. just a fascinating thing and it just sort of turns it and so your folks you know if they cast out a demon is that they'll let you know that it doesn't work that way <laughs> satan doesn't cast right. out satan well in all fairness and it's why it sobers me because i still i have the unwritten untouchables in other words in my mind there's certain things that i and i know i've got to, i want to be tuned in in fact i'll pray about this different times i've got to God help me see certain things. I just realize there's X number of things that are just off limits. I've just, that's not even possible to be wrong on, but it's sobering when I look at then, even Jesus' disciples. And this is where actually Peter has his Satan moment. This actually attributed to Satan, where Jesus. That's great, he has a Satan moment. Well, he has this moment where his vision of Messiah. Yeah. It can't, the Messiah can't die. In other words, that's, that's not, that's so far off the range. That's so, so far away from ruling with the iron scepter. Right. That's not even in the, I don't have a place in my brain for that. No, right. So he's not saying, teach me more, Jesus. <laughs> right. He's not saying, okay, because when Jesus, so now the one he's just declared, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The Christ, the now, son of the living God says, <laughs> he says, now I'm going to be killed. And I'm going to, and he says, I'm sorry, Jesus, almighty son of God, <laughs> the one who knows all and God over all. Uh, you're wrong on that one. <laughs> Actually, I'm not even sure he said, I'm sorry. I think it was more of a, not so. No. It's like. But but the not so say is. Say it isn't so. That's what it is. No, but in other words, it's, well, not, it's not possible. It's not possible. Right. It's, in other words. It's this, an untouchable. This is. The Messiah is going to rule. The Messiah is not going to get killed. Right. Now. I then, if I'm coming around to where we've been talking about, I see this with regards to the nationalism question in our own country. Yep. Oh, I'm, I'm talking about a passionate resistance. That can't. Oh no! I, I think I'm going to actually start with this that as an introduction. I want to talk about untouchables. It's an interest, but it's an interesting way to come to yes. it because if I start dealing with the issues of the problem of Christian nationalism. In other words, I'm not just going to give a definition of mm -hmm. it, but if I start talking the problem of that, for many people, particularly if they've served, I've noticed this, particularly if they've served or have someone in their family that has served in the armed forces, right. it becomes an untouchable. You simply can't question that. Right. 
And so I want to I want to give honor and respect to those who have served. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's a touchable issue. In fact, I think in the last five years, it's become critically important that Christians have some important discussions, some important talks about patriotism, nationalism, and religious freedom. Because that thing, the Sanhedrin's decision about we'll lose both our place and our nation, that lose our place seemed to be religious freedom. Right. We're going to lose our place, our opportunities at the temple. They're going to shut that whole thing down. God obviously wants us to have religious freedom. God obviously wants us to have our nation. You know, they were all in the Make Israel Great Again camp. So Jesus has got to die because we don't want to lose religious freedom and we don't want to lose our nationalism, Mm -hmm. our our national identity. Right. And and again, most people, I don't think, realize at the end of the day when the Sanhedrin meets, that's sort of what it came down to, humanly speaking. Right. God had a divine plan, but humanly speaking, it came down to, he's killing us. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because he raises Lazarus from the dead. So they not only put a contract out on Jesus, we've got to kill him because if he keeps doing this stuff, everyone's going to put their faith in him. <laughs> just, and we got to kill Lazarus too. Yeah. Because, and I'm just, I've always thought that was just hilarious. Lazarus is like, seriously, you're going to kill me? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good luck with that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Right. <laughs> I mean, if anyone was not right. afraid of dying at that point, right. it's Lazarus. Exactly. It's like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you got me running. <laughs> Woo! So yeah, and then uh, and then in August they're having me back to, to speak on the pro- why does God allow suffering? So I feel like they just kind of lobbed me two softballs in a row there. Well, after that July Fourth message, I'm not sure that uh, <laughs> not that sure following coming back for the next one never even happens. Uh, no, good I was, times. <clears throat> I was thinking, oh, where was my brain going? Um, well, Raj, I don't, we don't know. <laughs> we don't really. <laughs> This is um, the problem with an unscripted podcast. <laughs> if one of us doesn't come with something to talk about, we could have a lot of silence. <laughs> no, I was thinking again to that nationalism question. Um, oh, this was what came to my mind. So another layer to this is to what degree to which you is that they were concerned about national identity. And it's the question of how much of our identity. I heard Rick Warren say this this last week. I thought it was okay. fascinating. He said, one thing I'm seeing now that I that's very concerning, he said, I'm seeing Christians who are finding their identity in politics and not Jesus or the church. And even for even for the Israelites, the Jews, um, where they were to be known as the people of God, their identity actually was the people of God, but where their national identity, their political identity, got all tied in with that. Um, that so it's there's this other question that's so critical in in our yeah. day. Where are we getting our our sense of identity from? And of course, there's all kinds of things. This comes in with the you know the gender question. Am I, is my identity in my gender? I think people desperately. I just see a place, a world in which people are trying to find some sense of identity, something. Well. I- <clears throat> And yeah. they're, they're off. They're uh, the two. Okay, my take on that is the two wrong places to look are inside <laughs> and other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, because if I just if I just take this this tack, which is which is becoming more prevalent in culture, I can decide who I'm going to be. 
I can decide whether I'm a man or a woman. I can decide what political affiliation. I can decide what theology or non-theology. In other words, I can become whoever I want to be. Right. I have complete control over <clears throat> all of that. Or we look for other people to identify us. Right. You know, what do you think of me? I, I, I remember, I think it was a guy named Malcolm Smith that first put me onto this on identity. But he talks about this false identity that we live from. And it's, it's, he said, this is, this is how you get the, 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 the sum of your false identity is what I do, plus how successful I am at what I do, plus what other people think of what I do, right. equals my identity. Mm. It was this idea of you're, you're identified by what you do, are you good at it, and by the way, what do people think of it? And I've added one since then, which is how many people know what I do. Because in our culture with mm -hmm. social media now and the celebrityism, yep. It seems super important that people know that I went to the bathroom at three o'clock yesterday. Right. Yep, got 16 likes on that or four, whatever it is. But I it's had this, a grilled cheese sandwich for right. lunch. Everybody, how many people know you? Now, again, back to Jesus. It's a, just a sobering, sobering. I, I right? like you getting us back to Jesus. No, I was, yeah. I, I was again reading him this morning. And in that Bruce, same. Big into Jesus. Same Luke 14 passage. One person asked him, he said, so Jesus, you know. At the end of the day, are only a few people going to be saved? Now, we know how he answers that in other places, but I hadn't really looked closely at what he answered this guy. He said, he said, well, let me tell you a little story, <laughs> which Jesus was great about. Right. <laughs> he said, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many people will try to enter and won't be able to. And I'm just thinking, all right, what does that mean? And he said, and when the owner of the house closes the door, many of you, so he's talking to the guy who asked the question, are only a few people going to be saved? Many of you will be outside going, hey, let us in. And he'll say, I don't know you or where you come from. And they will say to him, but you taught in our streets. We <laughs> ate and drank with you. We, we had fellowship we with you. We were the you. good guys. <laughs> and he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you. Well, I think King James says workers of iniquity. And <laughs> he says evildoers. And I wonder if it's this back to this thing of, of Jesus, where Jesus would over and over again see people say, "Blessed are you, the words coming from your mouth," and what a what a what a wonderful sermon, Jesus. And he was like, "There is no blessing in hearing my words. There's no blessing with me teaching in your streets. There's no blessing with eating and drinking with me." And the, the person who's blessed is the one who actually does what I say. I think that narrow door, or at least part of it, is: <clears throat> Do I trust Jesus enough? to actually obey him. Not just hear his words, not just fellowship, eat and drink, but actually do the stuff that he says to do. So that was my sobering thought, even as I was wrestling with the teaching of Jesus this morning. Now there's another, you're, you're getting at another unique untouchable, because one of the untouchables- oh, And I'll come back to identity, I promise. Well, <laughs> we're all over the place. We are. As typical. Uh, as is a normal pastored conversation. Um, Aaron Rodgers not going to the Broncos. <laughs> oh no, I have lost my train of thought. <laughs> okay, so let me come back to identity for a minute. So we look, we look inside. To, I can decide who I'm going to be, or we look outside us to others. Who do you think? What do you think of me? What do you want me to be? All that kind of. I remember, like my senior superlative in high school, I wanted to be funniest or you know best looking. Didn't get either of those. I got most versatile. <laughs> which which meant to me you're not you're not really yeah, good at anything. You're gonna Bruce. be great at yoga. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what does that mean? And I've learned to help people now with identity. You have to look to your creator. 
Because only the Creator can correctly identify the creation. It doesn't matter what I think of myself. It doesn't matter what other people think of me. Right. It is what God knows about me. Right. And how He created me and the uniqueness. You know, and I remember years ago, I, I had a, just a, graph, a graphic illustration of this with, with my son, Zachary. It was like when he was four years, four years old. So this is almost 20 years ago. But he was always drawing. He's a great artist. Back then, he wasn't yeah. as great. <laughs> And he was drawing, he's like three or four years old, and he drew this thing on a, on a paper for me. And he came into my office, he's like, Daddy, Daddy, look at this thing that I drew. Now, he's the creator, he's created this thing. He said, he said what do you, then I said, that, that's awesome, son, that's a great picture, that looks great, that's amazing. You know, because I'm not sure exactly what it was. And he goes, well, but what is it? <laughs> I'm like, oh, uh, well, it looks like it looks like two spiders crawling up a wall on the outside of a house, and they're they're chasing after some food. And he said, "No, it's you and mom." <laughs> no, it's close. He said, "No, dad, that's you and me throwing the football in the front yard." Now think about it. Who was right? Zach was. It didn't matter what I perceived about mm. the picture, what I saw in the picture, because only the Creator can identify the creation. So mm. on identity issues, we cannot find our identity in, in, our, in, our, in our place or in our nation, our place being what we do or our work or our skill level or our nation or our lifestyle or our neighborhood or the car we drive or what do you think of me. We have to go back to God. But it's uh, it, who created us right. and knows us intimately. It is fascinating, though, how often, yes, we are looking for the identity, especially as it relates to others. Because it's funny, when I think right. about, if I have self-decided I'm going to identify, here's my identity, it's not just, I can't just leave it there. Almost always, no, you have to reinforce <laughs> that identity as well. Oh, yeah, right. So right. it's not just enough that, okay, I'm proclaiming myself an NFL quarterback today. Right. I'm available for the draft right. right now. I just proclaimed it. Right. Now, other people have to... I need someone to draft me. Right. And if they... <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's interesting. You realize tomorrow I could become a professional golfer. I mean, I could actually become a professional golfer today. Do you know what you have to do? No. You have to declare with the USGA and the PGA of America that you're a professional golfer. <laughs> you self-identify uh -huh. as a professional golfer. <laughs> yeah. And then, and you, then you're humbled. <laughs> and then you go and, and you try to get into one of their little tournaments. You shoot 106 and they're like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're, you're, you aren't even an amateur golfer. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a whole nother, there's a whole nother category. It's called hacker. Okay. And you're slightly, you're a subpar hacker. There's good hackers and there's bad hackers. You're less than the bad hackers. You just abused the term golfer. That's <laughs> great. That is. All right. Uh, so, uh, interesting. But, if, but again, now I'm just coming back to some other things we've been talking about. Did you get your thought back? I don't know, but don't let me lose it now. Um, this thought that I'm on here, even, it's fascinating, even the Pharisees and religious leaders of Jesus' day found their identity very often in what people thought. Oh, yeah. There's that other fascinating question when you talk about questions, you know, um, Jesus asked the question to them. He says, the baptism of John, 
Was it from God or men? <laughs> big, that was a big no answer for them. Big no answer. But then we get a little insight because they knew uh -huh. what the people would do. If we say this, uh -huh. what the people... So even how focused in they were on getting their identity from people. He would talk about taking the, the first seat it in the banquet. It didn't matter what banquet. was true at that point. Right. It was purely, what's going to fly? If right. we say this, the people aren't going to like it. Right. If we say that, then they're going to go, well, then how can you do the miracles? Well, if the people don't like it, or not, yeah, do they lose their place? Do they, in other words... Yeah, they're, they're going to lose... We don't know. Right. Our sense of identity <laughs> is... And it's why I love now if I come full circle, you look at Paul, Saul, who has this moment where he had all the trappings. He had all the things that you would identi identify. Yep. I mean, I was a Jew of the Jew. I mean, I was trained, all these kinds of things. But there's this point where he says, I threw all that away. Point being, that's not my identity. Yeah. I'm no longer getting my identity from that. I want my identity comes from Jesus. And I'll trade I'll trade every degree. Yep. I'll trade every position I had. And he did. I mean he lost and some believe maybe even lost his wife related to when he decides yep. he's gonna follow the carpenter rabbi. The way of Christ. The way of Jesus, he does end up losing all of those things where he says that used to be my identity. My identity. That I used to be that my rubbish now. But now, and there's that moment we all need to get to. Even today, what's what, Roger? Where, where well, yeah. for me? Where am I looking for my identity? And it, <laughs> and it's got to be Jesus. In other words, that's the best identity. It's the one who gave me my name. He's the one who gave me life. What you were saying. With Zach's artist story, right. he's the one who created me. He's the one. so I'm finding my identity in the one who made me. The identity of people, and by the way, don't we also know this? The people in a second can turn on you. They can be affirming you, whatever. But you know, in our culture, cancel culture. You you make one wrong move, you touch one of the untouchables, and you're out. You're out. And I've watched. I, yeah, I, I've watched it People happen to just leaders this year. Right, Beth Moore. Yep. You, you, you other leaders. Uh, Rick Warren's kind of teetering right yep. now. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, on that whole. Okay, you're out. As soon as you say women can be pastors, then that because that is that was for many or is for many this untouchable. Well, he's also come out with some very strong words about systemic racism being a thing. Yep. And those kind of things. And as we're talking about. That's another untouchable. Uh, you know, it, it could there possibly be racism in the church? Could there possibly be systemic racism in our country, in our court systems, in our... Yep. Well, again, I'm seeing an awful lot in the American community, the, the American church. That's an untouchable. That can't, not even possible, but, you know... And, okay, um, you think about how, how uh, end of discussion. Oh, end of discussion. That's right. of, often how it's said when, when someone's making it clear, yeah, we don't even talk, end of discussion. Well, actually, it's not. The, it may be the end of the discussion for you. But it's what Peter did when he said, not so, Lord. Right. End of in discussion. In other words, there's no, it, it, that was his, in other words, this wasn't even, this, you don't even 
this is foolishness. It's ridiculous. We're not going to talk. We're not going to talk about this anymore. He did the same things, and I've done this. So this isn't me. This is us talking about a reality that we all have to deal with, where we just immediately say, "Not so, Lord." It can't be. I just thought of something similar. I mean, this is related to all of that. What are the things in our country that both Republicans and Democrats would get together on? They would absolutely join together and be unified on 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 one thing. I'm 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 sure. If both Democrat and Republican parties believe that there was a threat to our national security, they would come together and do something, even though they don't come together on much of anything else. Well, you can make the, the case on 9-11, were we not, when there was a common threat enemy to our very sense of well, national way of life. security, yep. way of life, you did not have partisan politics in the months, nope. in fact, you had stunning. Yeah. What was there? Did the Congress sing "God Bless"? Him, or was there? Some, I mean, I think they there was some moment. There were these moments where. But, yeah, but that's the reason, interesting. The reason I brought that up is because it's the only time in Scripture where I have ever seen the Sadducees and the Pharisees got together on something. Right. That's how far apart they were. I mean, and, and culturally, that would be like Republican Democrat. Sadducees very, very much in control of the temple, and they had they had very much carved out a niche within the Roman Empire, wealth, power, the elite. Whereas I think the the Pharisees saw themselves as the true believers, the conservatives, the we're we're out you know right. we're we're outside of that. But on the the one thing they got together on Pharisees and Sadducees was, we got to kill him. He is a threat to our national security. But what's sobering a step further is. Even in those haunting, that um, last few hours, where the crowd gets yeah. caught up in that as yeah. well. Yeah. So a crowd that we might say one week earlier, Hosanna to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, and then a week later, the crowds. It's, so this is not just a few random leaders. There yeah. is this point where, and you have to wonder where even nationalism can be a part of that as well this kind of fervor this kind of um and it's funny the other person in that is also rome in other words when did oh yeah when did right. rome get in lockstep with because herod's also when, when you think they he's also thinking about his place and they're always thinking about the roman place and it, everybody everyone can agree that Jesus is a threat to their national identity, and, be it Roman. And, and for many of them, their self-interest. Right. Pilate's like, if we have one more problem in Jerusalem, my head's going to roll. Period. Right. You know. Yeah, worst case scenario, I, I'm killed. I mean, but actually, if I could just lose my place. Right. That, right. that phrase, that, right. again, we could think about, lose, lose my place, lose my place. Lose my okay. Lose my life is one thing, but how often even we're driven by Power. losing my place, my standing. Again, particularly then this pointer that my identity can be in my position, my power, how people see me, um, what things I control, uh, how many people I'm in charge of. Um, it's such a. This other thing that I've thought about identity is 
where we can, when we can find our identity in Jesus. All these other identity points are fickle. They change like the wind. Yeah. I mean, we know even in politics and, and, and the things can happen, friends can turn on us in a heartbeat. Again, where we're finding our identity, even I'm just thinking of the burden, uh, and, I, and I speak carefully here, but what, of choosing gender identity, I, I think of the burden of, it feels like it's freeing, but I, I, it's a step toward freeing, but I wonder if it, one, one, it's too much great a burden. Now, I've got to self-determine who I am and at the end of the day, I realize if it just comes down to me, it doesn't go very far. Not, not only that, but you, you, you mentioned something earlier because I'm watching this a little, a little bit with the no, I'm watching this a little bit with the gender identity issue as well as certain same-sex attraction issues and, and okay. those things. Okay, so I want to be very, very careful yeah. here. But, but there is something about if I, if I if I choose something, if something is a choice. I know there's an argument. Some things are choice. Some things aren't. Yeah. But if I, let's say, take on an identity, a gender identity, other than my anatomical mm -hmm. body, I, I, there seems to be a move toward, I want you to validate that. Right. And it becomes very, very difficult, because you can love a person, right. and, and they say, I'm, that apple is green. And I'm looking at that apple, I'm going, but that apple's red. I can't, un think, I can't unsee the apple as red, but another person wants me to validate it as, as green. And I'm okay with them believing it's green. It's just a, t it's a tough space of, for, for me right now, how do, you, how do you love people well when we're in a society that says, not only can I choose whatever I, I want to be, but I need you to validate that. So it goes back to, back, back to identity issues. I tell people all the time, sometimes in this office, your spouse is not the report card on your life. Your boss is not the report card on your life. Your friends are not the report card on your life. Yeah. Your parents are not the report card on your life. In other words, my validation, my significance, my the report card of my <laughs> life cannot come from other people. Because sometimes I'm getting an A plus and they're like you're saying, they're just digging me and Bruce is the greatest thing since sliced bread. But the same group, a week later, mm -hmm. I'm getting an F, it's massive fail. I realized in my marriage to Marlena, you know, if Marlena was the report card of my life, and we've laughed about this, I think I'd be getting a C and a D a lot. <laughs> and Marlena and I laugh about that because we're so different. In other words, and if I was the report card on her life, she might be flagging so in some places as well. But I'm not the report card on her life. Right. God made her. She's this unique, amazing, wonderful person that's very different than me. And so trying to change it is a little, trying to change her is a little bit like saying, I don't think God got that right. Not so, Lord. <laughs> I don't think God got that right. You need to be more like, and typically if I'm trying to change Marlena, I'm not trying to make her more like God. <laughs> I'm trying to make her more like me. <laughs> and I, that's one thing I appreciate about it, where we are in our marriage right now. Our identity doesn't come from one another. Marlena, what do you think of me? That's also a classic case of codependency. <laughs> you just don't want to go, we don't even have time to talk about that right now. But it's this beautiful thing of, of letting Marlena be who she is and she lets me be who I am and neither of us is a report card on the other. So my identity doesn't flow from people and what people think. Because sometimes <clears throat> Marlena loves me and thinks highly of me. Yeah. Other times, not so much. <laughs> right. Sometimes, I, this is why I can't even come from me. Sometimes I, I really like who I am. Right. Other times, not so not much. So, right. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I have to go, I always have to go back to God. He created me. He loves me. 
He cares about every detail of my life. He's not disappointed in me, although I think he's sometimes disappointed with decisions that I make because he knows it's not going to serve me well. But my identity comes from this, and I was so funny we're talking about this because I was talking about identity on the trail over the weekend, mm. and it, it flows from I am loved by God. That is the, that is the core of my identity, First uh, John 3, 12. So we know and rely on the love that God has for us. Yeah. I just love that. I keep coming back to that. I don't know and rely on the love that I have for God. You know, and I've got to, I got to prove myself. I, I know and rely on the love that God has for me. There is no fear in love, because fear has to do with punishment and all of that. I, I know that I'm loved. I know that God cares for me. I, I fear God. I'm in awe of God, but I'm not afraid of God. Right. I trust him implicitly. Right. And if anyone is the report card of my life, God is. Yeah. And that's the, that's the anchor. What, what I ache for is I, I see all of us scrambling to find identity. All of us, yeah. So right. it's, it's not just a few. You're exactly oh, right. No, no, no. The, the, yeah, the, the identity question, let's not start going off on people, whether it's, no, it's not just about gender, gender identity, identity right. or we have, we have our work identities, we have our religious identities, we have political, political identities. identities, we have all these places. So the identity question. Roger, we have the theological identity. Oh, we, we have Calvinists. We have Arminian. We have. We tend to. This is, this is a whole other talk. But we tend to label people. I mean, this is some, one of the things that I want to talk about in two months. You know, on this undivided right. talk. But we tend to. We want to label people. If I can label you, if I give you a label, then I can either join with you and we can have fellowship because you're the. We're of the same label, or I can demonize you. Yeah. If I lump you into that category, oh, you're a Calvinist. Well, you obviously don't love people. Whatever that is, we lump people into a category, and then we don't have to listen. We don't. We certainly can't learn from them. Just thinking about this question of all the all the places all of us are scrambling to find identity, and it's some mix of me establishing my identity and other people validating it. Yeah, I'm looking for. <laughs> my group to validate that i'm looking for other people to like it, yeah if we were looking for a significance by the number of listeners right. to the inglorious pastors <laughs> <laughs> but i realize it's that scramble we know yeah our own sense of identity isn't bedrock enough in other words i'm just me i it can't just be me but when we look to people we think oh that's going to make it steady but we realize that doesn't work either nope well and it's it's because why, yeah. it's, so we need to take that step further and find our identity, our core identity, back in the God who made us. And not just, you've emphasized, and it's a very important, in the love of God, but I just love that in the image of God, this, yeah. this stunning thing that yes. God says, even when he talks about male and female, but right. the, our core image is not male and female. The core image is made in the image of God, male and female, he created them, but the core... right. So Gore's image of I go back pre-gender, and I'm made in the image of God. And here's the hope I have. I mean, for wherever people are, where they're landing gender, it's, it, I, I want to say even there, are we, are we, there's a loss if we're trying to find our identity um, in our sexual preferences, in our, in our sexual practices, um, our sexual identity, our gender identity, our work identity, um, our class identity, our national identity, our political identity, 
all of those things are us grasping for this thing that we already have in the God who's made us. We're looking for identity in all the wrong places. And, and, and this is where, if we can just keep going back, it's not, a, I don't even want to yeah. get so caught up. I want to tell people, when we get into identity discussions, I want to say, listen, we're all battling identity questions. We're all screwing up the identity question. And the Pharisees had screwed up the identity question. The disciples had screwed up the identity question. We've screwed up the identity question. It's not, again, those people out there. Oh, they're, I can't even believe those people are, you know, the, their gender identity direction they're going. Where we've been for years and years, been finding our identity in work. In work, in, in the lifestyle. the praise of people. In, yeah. I think this. I think we should end this podcast with a song that we sang on Mother's Day. Oh no! That fits this whole identity thing. Are you ready? Just join in. You'll you'll recognize. You're it. scaring me now. I'm something special. I'm the only one of my kind. God gave me a body and a bright, healthy mind. He had a special purpose that he wanted me to find. So he made me something special. I'm the only one of my kind. I, I did not see that. I, this was tear forming. That was so beautiful. You're special. All of you. I, I feel like Mr. Rogers right now. I really do. We're burning the Captain Kangaroo. Captain Kangaroo. I don't think Captain Kangaroo did.